0: Uh, welcome to Nolwood. and if you are visiting, please fill out one of those connection cards. If you got your Bibles with you, please open them to Romans. We're going to be in Romans 8 as we look as we continue on in our Advent series. and also if you got your finger, hopefully you got at least more than one finger, you can keep it there and then flip all the way over to Hebrews and we're going to be in Hebrews 9 as well as we uh, continue to worship. We worship as we uh, listen to preaching or as I preach, I'm worshiping. Uh, This is an act of worship. And as you turn there, how do you wait for something with patience? I am not a very patient person. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner, and maybe there's a time with family that's coming. You got presents under the tree, whatever it may be. If you talk to a kid, they may be able to tell you exactly how many days. I'm surprised if they don't know how many hours it is until Christmas. It's taunting them, especially in our home. We have all of our presents already under the tree. Now I get to go to the store, and people watch all the suckers who don't have their shopping done yet. As Pastor Chris was praying for their patients, I thought ahead, and I got it done before the rush. Actually, I just ordered them online. Yeah. I'm thankful for delivery. Many, if not all of us, probably have something we are waiting for, and we may just it may just be driving us crazy. And as I was saying, I don't wait very well. It really doesn't matter what it is. It could be something that is really bad. It could be something that's really good. I'm really that guy who's like, let's just get this over with. I always wanted to get to the destination. Even driving can sometimes be a not most enjoyable experience for me because, again, I want to get to the destination. I don't really care about getting there. I just want to get where I am going. Ralph Waldo Emerson coined that amazing, popular quote, "'It's not the destination, it's the journey.'" Let me add also that as I googled that quote and read a little bit about Ralph Waldo Emerson, it makes sense why I disagree with this quote so much, because he was also a Unitarian minister, which means that he denied everything of the gospel. Because waiting is hard. And to be honest, I think what Christians have an understanding is is that it's really not about the driving, is not about the journey for the Christian life, it's really about the destination. Because that's what keeps us going in the midst of the journey, is the destination. It's not the other way around, I strongly believe Rolf was wrong, and for many years, even in the Old Testament, as we were looking at with, uh, with, with the, uh, Daniel, there was a time of waiting in faith for what was to come, and we now still wait for something. We, during Advent, celebrate how the Messiah came, how the fulfillment of the Old Testament was here, Emmanuel, God with us. But we still are waiting. We are still waiting. And there is a promise for us in this time of in-between. How do we do that? How do we wait? And what are we waiting for? And how does that change how we live our lives for today? As Christians, Christmas reminds us of this time of in-between. But there's a promise for us in this time of in-between. A promise for tomorrow, that is, for today. So read with me Romans 8, 18 to 25. This is the word of the Lord. And then after that, we'll flip over to Hebrews 9, verse 28. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then flip over to Hebrews 9, verse 28, that says this. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have to come and gather and just continue to worship you. Lord, we want to make much of you. May we decrease. May you increase as we continue to worship you. May we worship you in our listening. May you open up our hearts and our minds to what your word has to say. and May it convict, may it encourage, may it do what you promised it will do. And Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified, and I want to speak of you and praise your name. And although probably cannot make this turn out well, won't you make this turn out well? So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name above all things. May it also bring joy to your people and salvation, Lord, to the lost. And amen. So in Romans 8, verses 18 to 25, we see a promise for tomorrow. That is for today. In Romans 8, we see Paul talking about the promises for those who are in Christ. And I like that word, destined. I I think it's a great word. We often talk about it, though, in terms of a negative aspect, in terms of dooms. Like we say, oh man, that was destined to happen when that stupid person was, I don't know, walking under a wobbly ladder or something. We may say as something we thought was going to be bad turns out to be actually bad, but it's more about something of being assured. It's it's guaranteed. When we look at the promises that Paul will be talking about, these aren't something that might happen. They are destined to happen. They will happen because they're tied to our anchor, who is our hope that is found in Jesus Christ and just like creation waits for its ultimate redemption so does the cre- christian wait in hope but there's a problem for tomorrow that helps us, there's a promise for tomorrow sorry that helps us in the today in verse 18 paul is creating contrast between what the privileges that are awaiting for the christian and the christian's current circumstances he's comparing suffering and i think comparing suffering is actually a very dangerous thing when we start talking about personally comparing my suffering to your suffering is a very dangerous road to go down that's why we just don't compare so paul just comes and says suffering and i think it's safe to say that even in this as we walk through acts paul probably has a pretty good understanding of what it means to suffer and i would say and go out on a limb probably more than any of us in this room but he says this in verse 18: For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. What an amazing words that he comes and he calls to us. Paul wants you and I to see something very clearly. Suffering is expected in this present time. It's expected. So when we suffer, we shouldn't be like, how dare that happen to us, as some sort of entitled individual. It's expected. Paul says that right here. It's expected in this present time. That suffering could be the result of our own sinning, or the suffering that we go through for Christ's sake, or suffering that comes from our confession of our faith in a world that rejects Jesus, This could be the kind of suffering that comes from living in an imperfect world because we live in an imperfect world. As we listen to all the coughing that is happening today, we live in an imperfect world. And I like the realistic aspect here. Any pastor who comes and tells you that the Christian is not meant to suffer is lying to your face and should be rejected because it's counter to what Scripture says. Those who consider and those are really those who consider themselves prosperity gospel preachers are in this camp. Whatever the suffering of this current time is nothing, though, that Paul says, nothing in comparison to what awaits for those who are in Christ. I have this picture up that Pastor Chris did for me. It should be the next slide. It's a three-foot cube cast of iron. And think of a cast iron frying pan, right? It's pretty heavy. I have one of those at home. I can see why in every old movie they use it to whack the husband over the head. <laughs> but it's, if you put it on the scale, a three-foot cube cast of iron would weigh about 1,326 pounds. Now, on the other side, if I took a, a f- one-foot cube of platinum, and put it on the scale, it would weigh about 1,340 pounds, right? So when I look at something, I go, oh, yeah, cast iron for sure is going to weigh way more than the platinum. But it's not the case. It's not the case at all. And think about the comparison that Paul is making. It's like he's saying, take everything, take all of what you have, all of your suffering, all of what you've lost for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, all of the pain that is in this life, take it all, all of that suffering, all of that mess, all of it, and pile it as high as the heavens are on the scale. See how it teeters. See how it weighs down the scale on one side. And we think in our minds that there's nothing that will equal the weights of whatever we're going through in this life. Now, Paul says, now take the hope that will be revealed to you and put it on the other side. It is heavier than whatever is going on in your life today. That hope is greater than... Than everything in your life that could possibly go wrong, going wrong and piling it on that scale, the hope that is in Christ is greater. There's absolutely no reason to think that because you are a Christian, you will have no hardships in your life. That's why it's important to learn how to bear them. But we aren't the ones who are bearing them on our own. You put that one thing that glory that is to be revealed to us. Look at how small it may seem in comparison to the other side with the struggles of your life and put it on the scale and you watch that side that seems so empty quickly drop to the other side. That is how much the glory that is to be revealed weighs in the Christian life. And it outweighs everything. It's the basis by which we can be joyful in all circumstances. It could be the comfort of these worlds. It could be the sorrows of this world. Whatever it is, what is to be revealed outweighs it all. Brothers and sisters, this is why I've said it so many times before. We need to stop using the wisdom of this world to counsel one another. Because the wisdom of this world will not outweigh the stuff that's in our life that sucks. But you know what is? The glory that is to be revealed is far better than whatever may happen in our lives. And that's the comparison Paul is creating for us as we go on this. In this promise of the land of in-between, of this here but not yet, the arrived but not there, in this world of suffering, whatever is happening right now in your life, in this present day, is nothing in comparison to what awaits. If you are in Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't claim this. You're on your own. It only comes through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And just as Paul says this suffering over and against the coming glory and that nothing is worth comparing, so we must too. Brothers and sisters, we we were brought into a church family so that we can remind each other of these truths. Because we forget and we're fickle. Because suddenly we think only what's in front of us is the worst thing that could ever happen. Forgetting that the thing that to come is better than anything that could happen. As I was dwelling upon this, I was thinking, how, seniors, we don't hide the fact that getting older sucks. We don't the closer you are to the end of your race. But I beg you. I I, I beg you as your pastor. I beg you as a younger man, because I still think I am. I understand it's subjective. Finish well. Finish well. As you approach the end of that race, it's not the time to take your foot off the gas, but to make sure that you hit that finish line with nothing left in the gas. Show us who are younger, who are further back, how to finish this race well. Be examples to us of how and why. And whatever sufferings are in this present age is nothing in comparison to what awaits. Nothing in comparison to what awaits. Show us in your life. Prove it to us. Be an example to us who are coming behind of you, what it means of what Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are nothing in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed. Do you believe that? Let me see it. Prove it to me. I just want us to sit here and dwell upon the simple fact because of the glory that is to be revealed to us, it is that good. It is something that really deserves much of our attention and focus. How much does it affect how we live in this land of in-between? The glory that is to be revealed to us is not something that is created. If you were to get into the Greek of this right now, it is something that already exists. That's how sure it is. It's not something that God still has to enable. It's there. It's waiting. And for those who are in Christ, we wait with all creation for that moment. As I was dwelling upon that, I was thinking about this this morning. Steph and I, we got engaged with when we were, well, now it's considered young. But we were 22. I don't think it was young. We got engaged in June, the week of my birthday. So I didn't really get to celebrate it. I'm a little bitter about it, but that's all right. Everyone came over for a birthday party, and they all they wanted to do was see the ring. That's it. It's like, what? I'm the one that bought it and asked. Like, why don't I get it? Anyways, <laughs> for all you men who may be getting engaged lately, just be ready. Just be ready. Even even the bridal shower has nothing to do with you. And we had a a few conversations before I got engaged with her she would come to me and say, you know, when are we getting engaged? Cuz we had been ma- we had been dating for 3 years. So like it's like it, guys, if you've been dating someone for 3 years and marriage hasn't come up yet, that's a whole lot of pastor and counseling. I'll smack you across the face. <laughs> like men man up, okay? Anyways. And I would just say, it's coming, it's coming. It's coming, and she was upset about it. This whole time, and I kind of enjoyed it because I had bought the ring in February. It was in my room, waiting, with anticipation, for me to ask her to marry me. Now, if I had my man, if I manned up, I would have said, "Hey, I had bought the ring. You know, like chill, relax," so that she wouldn't have to go through that. But for us who are Christians, we know what is to come and with that that allows us to wait with patience for what is to come how does this change how we act in this time now in verses 19 and 21 this is the glory that even creation waits for it's what is is it for that transformation that is about to come Creation eagerly longs for the revealing of the sons of God. All those who have the rights of what is to come is what creation also waits for. And you have to ask yourself, why is Paul personifying creation? Why is he making it into, like, why is he humanizing it? Because creation suffered when Adam sinned. When Adam chose to take that apple from Eve and eat it, Now, we can joke around about who gave the apple to who. But scripturally speaking, the weight of that is on the man. Okay? Now, men, sit on that one for a sec. When that happened, the the curse of sin didn't just affect humanity. It affected creation. In Genesis 3, it's very clear All the thorns and the hardships of working the soil was not a result of God creating all things and making them good, but because we thought we couldn't trust the God who created all those things. The pain of child bearing is because of sin. And all of them, as a result of that first sin, when God created everything, it wasn't like this, it was created good so creation longs for what was when god will finally come and reveal the sons of glory the men and women who are in christ to receive the glory that awaits creation waits for what is waiting for the christian to happen because it too wants things to be set new it's eagerly it's groaning the text says even with creation waiting with eagerness Is this something that you are waiting with, with eagerness? Is the inside of you groaning for what is to come? And Paul paints this picture of what that would look like in verse 22. And this is the current state of creation. But this is not the final state of creation. We see, if you want to see how things turn out, go to Revelation. And you see that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. A transformation. Now, clearly, and I have to, I don't know why we live in this time and age where I have to say this, clearly I am not a woman. And because I am a man, I don't get the blessings of experiencing childbirth or holding a new life inside of you and all of those wonderful things that come along with it. I understand that there's a whole bunch of other not fun things too. I'll get to that. And I think that it is an absolutely amazing thing that God has given a blessing to. But I have seen the outcome of this just a few times. You know, I have three children of my own. And there's a lot of anticipation that comes with childbearing. There's a lot of fear, too. But a whole lot of anticipation And I don't think I've ever met a woman who's had a child who's gone through the agony of childbirth who wouldn't say it's worth it for holding their newborn baby. I don't think I've met anyone. And just as a pregnant woman groans in pains of childbirth, creation along with all of those in Christ wait with a combination of suffering with hope and a joyful outcome. Creation has a, a destiny planned by God and longs for it to be fulfilled just as much as a Christian has a destiny to look forward to. As he says in verse 23, we can do this because we have the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. We aren't satisfied with this world. You know what? One of the key fra- key identities of a Christian is if they're happy living here. I'm thankful for all the blessings that God has given me here on this planet. I'm so thankful. But in comparison to what is to come, I'm only 40. I can't wait. And I said this once to a senior who was lamenting about getting old and how it sucks. And I was like 30 at the time. And I said, you do know you're closer to to this greater hope than I am. Like if anyone needs to be prayed for, I got like 50 more years to go. You know? But there's an eagerness, a longing. And we have that because of the Holy Spirit, because we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. The gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us upon our salvation. When God saves you, he gave you the the promised Holy Spirit as a seal, as a a down payment of what is to come. And with that comes a joy that goes beyond all circumstances. But our joy, just like our holiness, right? Because God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Let me ask you, any of you got it perfect yet? Yeah, Peter does. (laughs) People are really laughing at that one. <laughs> but just like our joy, but our joy, just like our holiness, remains incomplete until we see what is to be revealed. The joy that we have now is not a disconnected, is not disconnected from the joy to come, but it is an anticipation of what is to come. And what should be the outcome of a heart that longs for these things? We patiently wait for the final act of what is to come. The Christian life is about patiently waiting in hope. So, as Paul continues on, we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons. As he keeps saying in 24 to 25, for in this hope we were saved. And as we walk through the pain and grief of this world, The hope of expectation permeates our despair. And we can do the waiting with patience and eagerness, knowing our God will accomplish what he said he will accomplish. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas reminds us, as we have said over the last few weeks, that God has fulfilled his promises in Jesus. Now, if Jesus promises to come back, we can take that to the bank. That's what communion is. There's not going to be communion in heaven. Because communion is about remembering what has been done. And we look forward with an anticipation of what is to come. And when we got it, there's no need to be. Because Christ himself will be our reminder. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Paul says this, for this light momentary affliction, (laughs) Paul, light momentary? He's like in prison right now, by the way, writing this. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But you may say, but pastor... I don't know how I can keep going. I don't have anything left in the tank. And this is too much for me. And this is too heavy. Brothers and sisters, I may not know exactly what you're going through or how to relate or any of these things. But I do know who our God is. And I know what awaits for those who repent and believe. And brothers and sisters, I know those who came before us suffering for the name of Christ did so with joy because of what was to come with anticipation. Are your eyes so fixed upon Christ that everything else fades? You know when you're staring at something, like if you picked a point at the wall and you just stare at it, suddenly everything kind of starts to fade, are you so fixed upon Christ, who is the author and finisher of faith, who was born as a baby? I can't get my mind around that. How the creator of the world adds to himself humanity to become a baby. At least, like, become a warrior or something with a sword. Like, a baby. <laughs> Praise God. baby needs everything. (laughs) Mary was changing the diaper of the one who spoke her into being. Think about that one for a sec. And brothers and sisters, I know the one who came for us. And that's why we gather together on a Sunday is to point ourselves after a week of being beaten and bruised and yelled at especially if you're in retail right now or whatever it may be to be reminded of the hope that we have in jesus christ that's not just like a might happen but is already waiting to be revealed like an engagement ring already bought this is the grace and mercy of our lord and savior so overwhelming that even the greatest mourning and tears you can say blessed be the name of the lord Don't believe the lie that whatever you are going through right now outweighs the glory that is to be revealed. And when we contemplate, when we sit down and dwell on the future, on what the future holds because of the present reality of for those who are in Christ, everything fades in this land of in-between. Notice I am not discounting your suffering. I don't. Suffering is real I've sat across many of people. I've buried many of people from babies all the way to teenagers to seniors. I understand suffering is real. What I am telling you is that the glory to be revealed is better. Way better. That I could not even explain it to you. And praise God for the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that does that for us, that creates in us that groaning. But what is that glory? What is the promise that is to come? Pastor Chris is going to do a far better sermon at this on Christmas Eve evening at 6.30. (laughs) Do another advertisement. But Hebrews gives us a quick insight into what that glory is to be revealed. Because there's a promise of tomorrow in Hebrews 9, verses 28. It says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many... Will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You know, I, <laughs> this isn't in my notes, but I was thinking about this. Uh, I remember someone describing to me when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, and we were talked about heaven and the things that we get to have. And the, the, my teacher, God bless her soul. Described it as having N64s, because that is the best system, is N64. All you who are too young, you're missing out. But N64s, and how you can, like, you'll have a N64 in in every room, in every house, and you'll get your own house, and your own, you know, you go through the list of all the things I get. That's not the point. If that's why we're waiting to get to heaven, you're missing the point. It's not about you getting your own mansion like the Newsboys song says, which is wrong, by the way. It's about me finally being face-to-face with the one who created me. Where there is finally no more sin in the way of my relationship. Where I'm not constantly going to a God who is holy and saying, yeah, I did it again. Forgive me. No longer will that be. For eternity, I get to stand and bask in the wonder of the one who saved me. When we go into Revelation and we see what the song that we get to sing, holy, 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 like some of us complain about the choruses that keep going on and on. It's one word, folks. Holy, 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 all over again for all of eternity because that's literally all we could say because he is holy, and to bask in the wonder of how a holy God could save a wretch like me. That is what I get to do for all of eternity. It's not about the N64s, which there won't be there. It's like people saying I get to be retired forever. Where in the Bible do you say there's no working in heaven? Anyways... So in chapter 9, the writer is comparing the old covenant to the new covenant that Christ established. He is our high priest and that gave a single superior sacrifice. Every sacrifice in the temple before Christ came in the new covenant didn't do anything. It was putting a drop in a leaky bucket. It was a constant reminder of what was to come, where Christ would finally finish it. The blood stopped when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he brought eternal life with those things. Christ, having been offered once to bring the sins of many, the writer of Hebrews says. Christmas reminds us of the reason why Christ Jesus came to die. Jesus didn't come to be a cute baby and stay as a cute baby, but came as the incarnate Son of God to bear the full weight of the wrath of god that we could not bear that is the gospel and as we look at romans 8 we see that adam the first human sinned against the holy god and just like how a whole team is penalized for that one player's mistake we are too. all humanity not one of us stands before a holy god as innocent we are sinners and because of that, there is a debt that needs to be paid. But Jesus Christ did not stay in heaven to leave us alone, but he steps down from his throne to take that punishment upon himself because he was the only one who could bear the full wrath of God. Because he is God. So that anyone who repents and believes will have eternal life. The hope of the Christian is anchored to Christ. Christmas reminds us of how God came to save his people. And as sure as Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, as sure as Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us, as sure as Jesus was born and grew up and died on the horrific cross and rose from the dead, as sure as all of those things, hear me, he is coming back. And in this land of in-between, During this Christmas time, we are reminded of the sure hope that Christ will come back. And while we wait, we wait in security, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit constantly is reminding us of where we're going. As the old hymn says, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that is what Christmas reminds me and I hope you of. A hope that is anchored to the one who paid the price for my sins. The joy we have now is not disconnected from the joy that is to come, but is an anticipation of what is to come. And as sure as Jesus came the first time, the glory that is to be revealed is coming. As he says, will appear a second time. John 16 talks about this. The apostles are freaking out in John 16. What are you talking about, Jesus, you're coming back? What do you mean? In 22, he says this, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This is the glory that is to be revealed. When we see him face to face, our joy will finally be full and unencumbered, and it will be amazing. And no one can take that joy away from you. Not one soul could take that away from you if you are in Christ. And at this moment, that we will see and enjoy him forever as he eternally makes his Father known to us. He will one day return. I love how this word picture by a pastor, he says it this way, for those of us joined to Jesus by faith, he has already cut For us, the path to fullness of joy. He has opened our mouths and put glorious drops of honey on our tongues. But there is a great feast to come. Fullness of joy is not here yet. The best tastes in this lifetime will one day soon be swallowed up in all fullness of pleasure beyond what we can even fathom now. See, the greatest joy is yet to come. And we need to keep reminding each other of that. And I thank God for Christmas that does. And Easter. Because we don't have, Christmas means nothing without Easter, by the way. And he's not coming to deal with sin because he's already dealed with sin, as Romans 6.10 says but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. What a clear anticipation of Jesus coming back. What type of hope does that bring to the Christians who wait? This is why church history is important. Because we have 2,000 years of people who are waiting. And they did it with joy. And many of them did it in worse circumstances than we have. This is not a great hope to those who believe but still struggle in this world. One pastor, another pastor said it this way, faith in the second coming of Christ is sufficient to support the souls of believers and give them satisfactory consolation in all difficulties, trials, and distress. All true believers Do live in a waiting, longing expectation of the coming of Christ. It is one of the most distinguishing characteristics of a sincere believer is to do. At the second appearance of Christ, there will be an ending, end of the business about sin, both on his part and ours. You know, sometimes we get so distracted by all of the comforts of this world we sit in comfortable chairs we're going to go home and sit in our lazy boys or our couches have a nap maybe in the lazy boy and i'm not saying those are bad they're they're great gifts of grace from our lord but they can distract us from the joy a greater joy than what is to come How can we not live for God when we have this kind of hope in our foresight? So what, you may ask, have a hope that enables us to live for Christ in the already and not yet. The Bible describes a Christian as a sojourner, a traveler, an alien in this land. This is an already and not yet. There's a tension between the realization of God's promise in the present and the completion of that in the future. Living in this in-between could mean navigating and working through all of the tensions and, and living that is expected in this time. But we do this with hope. As Christians who are being persecuted throughout history and killed for Jesus across the world, our hope for the day when their Savior would return is the same that we have today. James 5 7 and 8 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, he says. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. I know waiting isn't easy. If there's anything that we can sympathize I hate waiting. I already talked about this. But Romans 8.23 says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption and the sons. The promise for this time of in-between is that the Holy Spirit reminds us of this joy and that we have now is just a foretaste of what is to come. It's not about the journey. It's about the destination. It is the destination that is kept in sight that gives hope for the present strength of today, for today. Christmas reminds us we have a hope that enables us to live for Christ in the already and not yet. So two things I think we can get from this. First thing is this, are you in Christ? Did he die for you? When you die or stand bef- and, and stand before a holy God, do you have the guarantee of, an, of salvation with, an, with someone who intercedes for you? Is your name among the, on the, life, the book of life among all other believers? This can only happen if you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you have trusted in him, then you get the joy that we've been talking about. Second thing is this. Hebrews 12.12 says, Therefore, lift your dropping hands and strengthen your weakened knees. Strengthen your weak knees with the hope that comes in Christ Jesus. I'm twiddling our thumbs just waiting. This is not the waiting room of the hospital, which apparently can take eight hours in. We are waiting for the one who has come and will one day return, but we serve him and worship him with our lives in this land of in-between. We worship as the people who are waiting for the day when everything will come to a conclusion, when everything will be consummated. And we praise God for these things. And we go out seeking to tell other people about the hope that is found in Christ and in Christ alone because he is our sure and steady anchor. Christmas reminds us that we have a hope that enables us to live for Christ in the already and not yet. Let us continue to worship our awesome God together.